Welcome to Ag Matters, a podcast where we talk about both matters of agriculture and why agriculture matters. Here's your host, Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist. Today we have Dr. Jimmy Avery with us. Um, Could you introduce yourself a little bit, please? Yes, I'm the Extension Aquaculture Professor. I'm located at Stoneville, Mississippi, and I'm housed in the Dad Cochran National Warm Water Aquaculture Center. Awesome. So I guess that can lead us into our first question is that catfish are grown in warm water sources, right? So is that why we have a lot in Mississippi? Correct. We've got about uh, 36,000 acres uh, in Mississippi, and we are the nation's leading producer of catfish. Huh. That's really cool. Do we export a lot of it, or does it all stay here? Well, we probably only export less than 5% outside of the U.S. Okay. And most of our product is probably eaten, you know, up and down the Mississippi River, what we call this heartland area, you know, Mm -hmm. where most people know catfish and grown up with catfish. And so that's a big part of our market. Okay, awesome. Uh, when I'm not from Mississippi, obviously, but when I moved here, I started noticing on a lot of uh, restaurant menus, they say Mississippi catfish, and they don't do that other places. So, Yeah, there's only three states that have labeling laws at the restaurant level. Oh. So those Mississippi, Arkansas, uh, and Alabama, uh, they have a, uh, a law that says that if you're going to sell catfish or catfish-like products, you need to sell, say that right there on the menu. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. So either have to be on the menu of, a, of an equal uh, font size as everything mm-hmm. else on the menu, so you can't put it very, very small in the bottom you know, right-hand corner, mm-hmm. or else you can have a uh, placard up on the wall that mm-hmm. says, you know, made in Mississippi, Mississippi farm-raised catfish. So huh. you can start to recognize those when you go into a lot of restaurants that, that sell catfish uh, in Mississippi. That's really cool. So you said there were 36,000 acres, right. right? How many catfish can you put on an acre? Well, it's, it's interesting because it, let's say back in 2009, we were actually producing about 4,000 pounds per acre of water. And since that time, we've gotten that up to about 7,000 pounds of catfish mm. per acre of water. So is it the catfish are getting larger or you're putting extra catfish. Well, there. we've got uh, some new production systems out there. We've got what we call split pond systems. Uh, we've got these intensively aerated smaller ponds uh, out there. And so those new production systems are, are just more efficient at producing fish. We're also pr- providing more aeration for them, keep them alive, keep them healthy and growing. Uh, we're also producing a slightly different animal. We have what we're calling a hybrid catfish, which is a cross between the blue catfish and the channel catfish. Uh, So that gives us some hybrid vigor, a little more disease resistant. Uh, And we've also had some improvements in fish health. So those things kind of added together over the Mm -hmm. last 10 years have really uh, allowed us to increase that production on a per acre basis. Okay. We worry a lot about genetics. We artificially inseminate. And I guess for me, I won't speak for everybody, but I didn't really think about it being that intensive and like an aquaculture type of thing, but you are really worried about genetics, I guess, and you're trying to breed them for more efficiency. Correct. I mean, of course, from the um, genetic side, we're also trying to produce better strains Mm -hmm. of catfish out there. Uh, And, but a lot of our effort, let's say in the last 
15 years has been in making it easier to produce this hybrid catfish. In mm-hmm. other words, they don't naturally spawn, so we have to um, take take the eggs from the female and the sperm from the males and mix them together to make this hybrid. And so oh, it's wow. a very intensive operation. Yeah. And so our uh, hatcheries have had to learn new techniques and scale up new techniques. Mm-hmm. And now this hybrid catfish makes up about 70% of the catfish that we raise. Hmm. So does every catfish farm have a hatchery where they're doing that? No, I, I guess we're probably... Uh, similar to maybe the poultry industry where uh, we've got certain farms that specialize in producing what we call fingerlings, these little fish that are probably up to about six inches long, and they produce them on those farms and sell them uh, really throughout the U.S. I mean, we are the, Mississippi Mm -hmm. is the major producer of fingerlings, and we sell Mm -hmm. those to Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, uh, Missouri, California, Huh, that's neat. So the catfish that are not fingerlings, I guess the grown-up catfish, <laughs> they they are living in the pond for how long? Well, we can, you know, uh, let's say for a, a regular channel catfish, that one will probably take us uh, about 24 months to okay. get it from just hatch to ready to go in that truck and go to the processing plant. If you look at hybrids, we can get them there a little faster. Let's say we can get them there in maybe 18 to 20 months. Hmm. That's actually a lot longer than I had anticipated. That's, that's yeah, we're, we're not like, you know, it's not like chickens where we're talking about hours. Yeah. You know, now, you know it used to be days, and now I, I hear they're talking about how many hours it takes them to get from egg to broiler. Uh-huh. But, uh, no, we're probably, you know, you're looking at, they're all, all our catfish are going to be hatched or spawned mm-hmm. uh, in June. Okay, so we have a fairly short window to grow them out mm-hmm. before it gets cold. Okay, so they're not growing much, much from November till March. And it warms back up, and mm-hmm. then really that March to that following September, October, November is the typical um, cycle that we're looking at. Okay, so even in the cold, which in Mississippi is not very cold, but colder than probably what they're they're used to, they're kind of, I guess not hibernating is the right word, but they're not as active as normal? Correct. They go in kind of a hibernation state where they're just okay. not feeding. Once it starts getting below about 55, 60 degrees, then they do get very inactive and just try to, because being a, a warm, a warm cold-blooded animal, they've mm-hmm. got to uh, uh, conserve that energy uh, as well. So we d- do not get any feed in them, you know, okay. and, until we get uh, a very warm day in the wintertime. There's chances that we might, you know, every uh, get about 10% of our feeding done uh, when we get these spectacularly warm, you know, winter days. They'll okay. get hungry. They'll kind of uh, start searching around, and we kind of watch the temperatures uh, and get out there and try to feed them when we can. Okay, that makes sense. And I read on Wikipedia, which is not a, <laughs> a reliable <laughs> source, so you correct me when I give the wrong okay, information we'll here, that, <laughs> that um, you feed two pounds of feed per one pound of live weight. Is that right? Correct. Uh, you know, you look at the industry average out there, we're probably at around 2.2 pounds, okay. you know, and if you look at the, the biological conversion rate, we can actually do better than that. So, you know, let's say, you know, a lot of our experiments where we're, uh, you know, accounting for every fish and very controlled conditions, we can get that down to probably 1.8 pounds. 
uh, mm. of feed per one pound of gain. And that's mm-hmm. very, very similar to uh, what poultry gets as mm-hmm. well. So we're, they're a very efficient animal. Okay. And you're feeding them like pellets of something or what are you actually Yeah, feeding? we're feeding them an extruded feed uh, that's uh, mostly plant-based proteins. So you're looking at high-pro soybean meal, corn, wheat, uh, and then vitamin minerals that are that are added to it. Okay. Uh, we have a very, very low percentage of uh, animal protein in that, typically less than 4% okay. of our total feed. Uh, and it is, you know, it's an extruded feed. It looks very, very similar to like a dog feed, a dog mm-hmm. food. Um, but it floats up on the water so our fish can come up and, and eat it on the surface and gives us a chance to kind of look at their feeding activity and see okay. kind of how they're doing. So... Are catfish not bottom feeders then? So they, do? they are not bottom feeders. Oh, okay. You know, uh, you know, in the wild, I mean, there's one thing about uh, the channel catfish. They're very, um, they eat a wide range of, of things, from grains to animal pro- animal products, insects, and these kind of things. Um, but in these ponds, uh, there again, we're f- f- uh, feeding them a floating feed. So it keeps them up on the top. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the, really the only thing, the only diet access they have is what okay. we give them through a pelleted diet. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're up there on the top eating the uh, eating that feed. Um, so it's a little bit different than what you would see, let's say, in a wild catfish, okay. where they're out there, uh, a, not a scavenger, but they're very omnivorous. Mm-hmm. They'll take whatever is out there. Okay, so do they taste different than a wild catfish? I would probably say that, you know, what brought people to eating farm-raised catfish is they liked the taste of those channel catfish that they got mm-hmm. from their rivers or lakes, okay? And so, you know, we're, we're probably very, very similar in, the, in that kind of taste profile that okay. you would get, you know, that sweet, nuttery, buttery flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing about my feeding them this uh, feed, we can keep that taste of that catfish more consistent. Okay. Over time. So you know what you're getting when mm-hmm. you're getting that farm, you know, because very, very strict quality control standards go into, you know, what we actually pull out of ponds and process and send and send on. So. Okay. So is it similar to the, I guess, cattle industry at the USDA is inspecting the slaughterhouses or the harvesting facilities? Is that similar on the aquaculture? Correct. I mean, okay. uh, we are inspected by USDA uh, Food Safety Inspection Service, just like uh all of your major protein groups, uh, it's like mm-hmm. chicken, beef, pork, eggs. Uh, so we're under that same inspection protocol. We've got an inspector in our plants at least once a day mm-hmm. uh, for some period of time every day. So this, I told you I was going to ask you silly questions, and this is going to be one, I'm sure, but how do you actually get the catfish to a harvesting facility? Because they well, live in water. You know, uh, it's just a, uh, a saying. You know, it's very similar to what you would, you know, think about when you think about people uh, saning uh, in the wild, mm-hmm. let's say, as you're saning for either shrimp or something else. You're just pulling a, uh, a sane through that rectangular pond, uh-huh. crowding them all up at one end of the pond. We have a, a dip basket that goes in there and picks them up, puts them in a, uh, a, a tank mm-hmm. filled with water, and so they're delivered alive to the okay. processing plant. Hmm. And most of our fish uh, only have to be transported. If you look at the number of processing plants we have, how they're distributed across the state, most of our fish only have to be transported maybe 50 miles okay. so they can find a processing plant. Uh-huh. And you don't have a lot of, like, 
losses or anything in transportation? No, I mean, because it's, it's typically we, you know, we provide aeration, aeration mm-hmm. for it and we try to match the temperature, you know, the temperature of the water from the ponds to the tanks okay. and these kind of things. And so it's, uh, we strive to keep that animal alive all the way to the processing plant. Mm-hmm. And so I guess on that similar topic is, are you mentioned health, that you're making improvements in health and stuff as an industry. What health issues are historically a problem or are currently a problem that you have to deal with? Well, we have a few bacterial diseases uh, that we have to deal with. And when our uh, fish get sick, uh, we, uh, our farmers take them to a, uh, a veterinarian. And that veterinarian will write them a prescription, you know, to they'll go to the uh, feed mill and buy a feed that has medication uh, incorporated into it. Uh, so we fight. That's how we fight most bacterial diseases. Okay. Interesting. And bacterial diseases are probably our number one issue when it comes mm-hmm. to fish health. There are some water quality issues. In fact, as we go through uh, water temperature changes, it causes some water quality issues. But uh, uh, that's a management Okay. Issue. So producers are normally checking their water and making sure that it doesn't have the bacteria in it and it's the right temperature and everything? Well, it's really, it's, there's not much they can control as far as temperature goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bacteria, uh, you can try to just monitor your ponds. And if you see sick fish, mm-hmm. then they're trying to get on top of that very, very quick and getting it into a... Okay. Uh, a veterinarian to have it have it looked at. So mm-hmm. they're monitoring their ponds, both, you know, just from, from let's look at mortalities, uh, mm-hmm. let's take water samples. So they're looking at the what different water quality variables that are out there and trying to optimize those growing mm-hmm. conditions for those fish. Okay. Uh, and now we have uh, automated uh, sensors out there as well that can tell us, hey, it's getting a little low of dissolved oxygen uh, in these ponds. We need to uh, turn aerator on. So okay. it'll either turn them on automatically or send the farmer a signal that he needs to go out there and, mm-hmm. and turn some aeration on. Oh, that's really cool. Farms. Yeah, that's neat. Um, so people who haven't been to areas that grow catfish, which is pretty much everywhere not from around, everywhere not from here, um, can you explain what the aerator is and what it looks like if you're driving past a field? I think one of the, the first time I drove past, I remember thinking, "What is that? It's the, what are they doing?" <laughs> yeah, especially if, if you're if you're driving. Uh, through Mississippi Delta, uh, or even in East Mississippi, uh, early in the morning during the summertime, you're very likely to see water being thrown up into the air. And mm-hmm. so it's essentially a paddle wheel aerator, and that, that name pretty much describes uh, what it is. So it's a, you know, a spiral of these paddles that turn very, very rapidly and throw water up into the air. Oxygen is absorbed back into that water and then that aerator kind of spreads that out throughout the pond. So mm-hmm. uh, it's typically a 10 horsepower aerator. And so when you drive by and you look at a pond, you see a big plume of white water out there. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening is they're aerating those ponds. Mm-hmm. So what would happen if you didn't aerate? Well, we would have to uh, grow a lot fewer fish, okay. you know, because if you look at the, the, the maximum rate that we could feed, the maximum rate mm-hmm. we could stock would be very, very uh, reduced if we were not able to go out there and provide this supplemental oxygen to the pond. Okay. Because our pond typically makes oxygen all Mm -hmm. day. As long as the sun's shining, we're making oxygen in in the pond through photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. But at night, uh, we've got (coughs) to use up 
uh, we're using up all that oxygen. Our fish are using it, the algae mm-hmm. in the pond's using it, the bacteria in the pond's using it. Uh, so we're just taking, uh, supplementing that oxygen at night. Okay. Um, so also when I drive past the, the ponds, I'll, I see these big white birds of some sort. I don't know what they are. Are they, I assume, trying to eat the catfish? Are they a problem? They are a problem, and it's not just the white birds. I mean, the white birds you typically see are, are great uh, egrets that are out okay. there. Um, uh, but we also have great blue herons uh, that are walking the edges of the ponds, uh, typically looking for, uh, for fish that are either weak uh, or sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have other birds like the double-crested cormorant uh, that that migrates here uh, and overwinters here, uh, and they're um, this is a very good source of of food for them. Uh-huh. And so we can have uh, fair, really significant losses on these ponds. So it's a uh, it's a labor-intensive for our farmers to get out there and keep these birds off mm-hmm. off the farm. Uh, you also have problems. Another white bird is the American white pelican. You know, oh, okay. It's a very, very big bird that can mm-hmm. eat three to four pounds of fish, you know, per day. Uh-huh. And they're in flocks of, you know, 500 to 1,500. Oh, wow. And so they're coming in there sometimes even at night. So they could take out like they a whole can, pond. They can, make, uh, they can take out a lot yeah. of fish. And, and the other problem they pose is that they also bring diseases with them. So that's another thing that we've got to battle, you mm-hmm. know, to keep them off there, not only because they're eating fish directly, but they're mm-hmm. harming us through these other parasites that they can bring in. So how do you keep them off? We essentially just ride the levees, okay. try to scare them off. You know, they, they associate, you know, humans with danger. And uh-huh. so we try to, uh, but it's a lot of labor. Uh, mm-hmm. and in fact, that in the, you know, typically in the wintertime, when we're not feeding, we're not mowing grass, we don't have a big demand for labor on this farm, on these farms, uh-huh. uh, just like cotton, soybeans, or uh-huh. anything else. But now you've got an animal. We have fish in our ponds 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. So even in, in January, we've got to have crew out there running these birds mm-hmm. uh, to keep them off, off of our farms. It tears up our levees. Uh-huh. You know, we've got to keep people doing, uh, doing this all winter. Hmm. Are there any automated systems coming out that could help get rid of the birds? You know, I, I don't know because you look at some of our, you know, we have farms that are probably, you know, 6,000 acres. Mm-hmm. You know, so how are you going to put something out there that would be effective over such like a big piece mm-hmm. of, of property? Uh, now, there's some work in looking at, well, maybe there's a way you could protect your very, very small fish. Uh, so you could concentrate mm-hmm. those all in one area and just put up some type of um, uh, either a, a nets, ropes, or something there to discourage those birds in there. But at this point, mm-hmm. It's all pretty much manual labor out okay. there discouraging. Hmm. That's interesting. Are alligators are not a problem? You know, we, uh, we're in and out of these ponds mm-hmm. so many times. You know, you look at we may seine one particular pond three times a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you'll see them kind of show up in there, but human activity typically kind of moves them along okay. out of there. Because that'd be a pretty uh, smart eating spot, for an alligator, <laughs> right? It just uh, free for Yeah, one thing you know, one thing about alligators, they tend to take take slower moving things than fish uh, as well. So yeah, they'll get in there and they would eat a big fish. But mm-hmm. it, typically, when an alligator moves into a new environment, a lot of times they're eating turtles or they're eating uh-huh. small mammals, you know, such as nutria or muskrat or mm-hmm. these kind of things. Things that that aren't swimming away from them at the speed these catfish can swim away uh-huh. from. Them. 
that makes sense. So um, when you stain a pond, is that the right word? Yes. <laughs> Do you completely like empty the pond and start over, or you just put more fish in? Well. Uh, Actually, we do both. We have what we call multi-patch, you know, where we're essentially we're going through there with a seine of a certain size, mm-hmm. and that just takes out the big fish. So it leaves medium and small-sized fish, you know, behind. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we'll come in there and we'll stock another batch of fish in there under those. So we're that way we're just constantly mm-hmm. rotating uh, fish through that pond. The other way is what we call a single batch, is that you put all one-size fish in there, you feed them intensively. You grow them out as fast as you can. You come and take everybody out of there. And then what mm-hmm. goes back into that pond is all the same size fish. They're all stocked on that same time. And then we go through that cycle. Huh. So we see some farmers that, depending on what, kind of what their marketing strategy is or how many mm-hmm. times they really need fish to be able to, to get to market, you'll see uh, farmers using both strategies on That's the same farm. Oh, on the same farm even. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Um, So from a, I guess, marketing or economic perspective, can you touch on how the catfish industry affects the economy of Mississippi or everywhere? Well, if you look at Mississippi, uh, there are times when, uh, I guess probably back in the mid-2000s when we were kind of at our peak, Mm -hmm. we were probably, uh, if you look at uh, ag commodities, we were probably right there behind cotton and soybeans. You know, the next one would have been catfish. Okay, uh-huh. uh, and that's probably back when we were ha- we had about a hundred thousand acres. Let's say now we're down to thirty six. So we're not having as big an impact. But if you look at those counties that you know the Humphreys County, Lafleur County, Sunflower County, um, it's a very big ag commodity in those counties. And if you look at the processors uh, in some of these counties, the processors are probably in the top three or four uh, employers uh, in that state. So we're manufacturing feed here in Mississippi. We're manufacturing essentially the stockers, the, f- the fingerlings, the fry themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're processing it. We're create. We're building equipment that's specialized. You know, you look at. We're buying that seine. You know, we were talking about earlier. We're mm-hmm. buying that locally. We're buying a lot of those paddle wheels uh, locally, uh, or at least from the southern region. So we're a big economic mm-hmm. driver in in the delta. Yeah. And we do have production. We probably have somewhere five or six thousand acres in East Mississippi, uh, and it's. Uh, part of their uh, crop mix Mm -hmm. uh, as well. I mean, we've got farms in the Delta that are are so big that catfish is the only thing they do. Uh, You compare, uh, and we've got other farms in the Delta, of course, that's Mm -hmm. just one, they've got maybe 300 acres of catfish Mm -hmm. and a thousand acres of soybeans that go Mm -hmm. on. If you look at East Mississippi, uh, it's a part of their crop commodity mix. You don't have pretty much anybody that's solely in catfish in East Mississippi because they're, again, the the topography of that land mm-hmm. over there is such you can only get so many acres, you know, in. It's kind of slightly uh, rolling and I these see. kind of things. Uh-huh. In the Delta, you've got these big flat blocks of land that mm-hmm. uh, really lends itself to, to putting in a lot of acres. Mm-hmm. When I think what most people who at least know about the Delta a little bit um, think of it as a row cropping area and not necessarily probably catfish. So that land is very fertile and valuable for growing, you know, cotton, soybeans, pretty much anything we're lucky to have very fertile ground there so is there competition or I guess a lot of people who want to take that catfish land over to grow crops or is it kind of just accepted that that's there also well I mean if you look at back in 2002 and we had 
111,000 acres. Uh-huh. Um, if you look at the fact that foreign competition started coming in and, and cutting, losing our markets, feed prices started going up. You know, we probably went from $190 a ton for catfish feed up to as high as $560 per oh, ton wow. based on, you know, those grain prices were coming up, uh-huh. you know, probably in the six, uh, 2006, 7, and 8 uh, going through there. So we started losing catfish acres. And um, some of that, some of that land was put into, let's say, uh, duck hunting opportunities, or it was put in a uh, uh, land protection uh, programs. Uh, but eventually, large percentage of that was put back into soybeans, rice, corn, uh, as well. Okay. So when there were more, a hundred thousand acres, why? What happened? Why are there? Why is there less? Well, you just started looking at foreign competition, started sending in lower price, compa- uh, comparable products. So okay. uh, if you look at it, even today, probably 70% of the catfish eaten in this country or the catfish-like products eaten uh-huh. in this country are coming from Vietnam, China. Oh, 70%. Uh, 70%. Oh, wow. So only about 30% of what a consumer eats uh, Mm -hmm. in this country actually is grown here in the U.S. So that took a very big piece of that market, of Uh course. And uh, then you had the uh, increased grain prices. So that made uh, some of these alternative crops to catfish, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a better option on these farms. Uh-huh. So they said, "Look, you know, I'm getting I'm getting 75 cents a pound for catfish, mm-hmm. you know, but corn's bringing X, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's what more profitable for me to you know rotate these out and, and go to those uh, other commodities." Okay, hmm. so we need more catfish farmers. Well, you know, from my perspective, we always need more catfish uh-huh. farmers. You know, and and hopefully the market will uh, entice farmers to uh, you know uh, get back into the business. Uh, but we you know we have a very str- uh, tough uh, market stability now. Uh, it's the fact that yes, you've got a certain percentage population in the U.S. that wants U.S. farm-raised catfish. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they're going to uh, demand it when they go mm-hmm. eat. They're looking for it in retail uh, fish uh, stores, mm-hmm. and uh, but, but a very large percentage of these uh, population. Are looking just strictly on price, and mm-hmm. if that if that uh, pangasius fish from Vietnam is sitting there and it's, you know, one third the price mm-hmm. of our U.S. product, we have an unfortunately we have a lot of people that will choose that product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense from a lot of ag industries. Mm-hmm. Actually, we right. struggle with that. So, what other challenges are catfish producers facing? Well, you know. One thing, you look at kind of that price difference when we talk about difference in growing a, a catfish-like product in Vietnam mm-hmm. and, a, and a channel catfish in the U.S. One of these is the cost of regulations. You know, we've got an awful lot of regulations on, on our products out, out there now, and, and that impacts what our mm-hmm. bottom line is, what, our, what, our, what it takes us to produce a pound of catfish. So this cost of regulation is something, and, and of course, that's not unique uh-huh. Uh, to catfish, sure. you know, you're seeing that across all uh, commodities out right. there, and that's partly why the U.S. food 
is the safest true, out there. True, true. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there are benefits for that, you know, okay. but if you look at, at some of the some of the laws and regulations that are out there, they're redundant, you know, uh-huh. and so they cause, cause more, uh, and uh, we have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Birds we've already talked about, you know, we're, we have uh, uh, a lot of different birds want, want to eat our fish, mm-hmm. and so uh, we have seen fewer permits uh, for us out there to control these birds mm-hmm. uh, out on our farms. Uh, and also with the fact that we've got new production systems. These split ponds and these intensively aerated ponds, uh-huh. uh, they're new. Um, we tend to kind of want to push those uh-huh. uh, as, as hard as we can. And so we're kind of in a learning curve okay. with, with some of those as far as how it impacts water quality and these kind of things. So I think we're making that adjustment. But we're not backing up from the standpoint that we're still producing more fish uh, mm-hmm. per acre than we are. So they're very effect, uh, efficient systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a challenge uh, always when you're dealing with a new uh, system. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, what else can you teach me about catfish? What else? There's lots of ways to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Fried is my favorite. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but anything you know. fried is good. So. Yeah. You know, and uh, so our commodity organizations like uh, the Catfish Institute and Catfish Farmers of America, Catfish Farmers of Mississippi are always trying to promote new ways, you know, to, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, for consumers to utilize that product. Uh, out there as as well. So it's it's a very good product. It's locally grown, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, I think it's something that certainly here in Mississippi we do our part. I mean, we're eating yes. on a per capita <laughs> uh, about four pounds per person per person in this state. every year. Yeah, yeah, oh, wow. and, and we we lead the we lead the U.S. Huh. Uh, you know, Texas is big, Arkansas is big, Alabama's big as well, but. Um, so yeah, we've got uh, we have a loyal fan base uh-huh. uh, out there. We hope that that expands, you know, so we can start pulling product through. We have a lot of capacity out there that's just not being used at the moment, yeah, uh, simply because uh, there's market market pushback, you know. Yeah. Well, so fried is probably not the healthiest option, but and I know you're not a human nutritionist, but catfish is a relatively healthy food product, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, it's high in protein, low in fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there again, it, uh, it it's a white flesh fish that has a mild taste to it. So you can put whatever you want to, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it lends itself to a variety of cooking options. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only fried, of course, you got baked, you got poached, but the kind of seasonings you can put on it, the toppings you can put on it, makes it a very, very versatile fish uh-huh. as compared to, let's say, something like a, uh, a salmon. You know, there's yeah. probably only going to be two or different, thir- three different ways you're going to cook a salad. Uh-huh. You're going to grill it. You're going to do a couple, poach it, do a couple things with it. But you have a lot more for, uh, options there for mm-hmm. a white flesh fish that's probably a five-ounce, you know, protein mm-hmm. center of the plate type of product. And what they're eating, for the most part, is affecting that taste? Or is that just naturally, like salmon, I don't eat salmon. I think it is. Not not my cup of tea, mm-hmm. um, but I do like catfish. So what? Mm-hmm. Why is that? So why well, do they taste so different? It, I think it has it has a buttery uh, nut type taste uh-huh. that a lot of people find appealing. It's not overpowering. Okay, uh, it doesn't bring it doesn't have that quote unquote fishy taste. Uh-huh. You know that you see in fish that have a lot of fish oils in them or a lot of fish oils in their feed. So I think it's a it's a very mild sweet taste that mm-hmm. most people you know uh, can find some way to prepare it 
uh-huh. you know, that appeals to them. So the fish oil is really what is making that. Well, it's taste. one thing about it. I mean, it's you know, you like most things, you are what you eat. Uh-huh. You know, and so if you look at uh, either wild fish, you know, your wild salmon that are you know uh, eating a lot of other smaller fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they're going to accumulate that kind of fish oil in the plate. And some people find that appealing, and so they want that in the uh-huh. center of the plate. Some people that don't like that fish taste, you know, will typically go to either white fish that, you know, that eat a, a bigger variety. Mm-hmm. And if you look at and you think get back to what we talked about uh, feed earlier, I mean, they're feed, they're, we were feeding them grains, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very controlled diet. So And that impacts that kind of what that ultimate uh taste could be because mm-hmm. we could add we could add stuff to our feed that would give them a slightly different taste mm-hmm. you know if you say if you wanted more fish oils mm-hmm. in your catfish we could we could incorporate that but that flavor profile would be drastically uh-huh. different you yeah, know if let's we want, not do that. <laughs> <laughs> if we want to boost up you know omega-6s or something like that yeah you know, we've done the research says yeah we can do that but you change that flavor profile it's going to taste different uh-huh we like the taste. I uh, like we'll the taste as it is. It yeah, way. thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we do, I personally appreciate all the farmers in general, but catfish farmers, since you're here. So thank you, catfish farmers, and thank you for working with them. I think it's a great product, and I'm happy to learn about it. I, uh, this is a really going to sound really nerdy, but if anyone who knows me knows that I am nerdy. That I always tell my husband that I'm so interested in, in catfish farming because it is so much more intensive than I thought that if I ever get fired from my job here, that that's what I want to do with my future is be a catfish farmer because it's so it's just so cool. There's so much more in it than I think people realize. It, it really is. And, and it's I would probably say if you look at the other commodities, it's it's similar to a dairy farm from the standpoint that uh-huh. you've got you've got animals that you have to deal with 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're responsible for their safety, you know, their well-being, getting feed and this kind of stuff. And I think it, it brings in a different um, approach when you're now you're looking at water, mm-hmm. okay, as well. That's something a little you can't see those animals all the time. You kind of uh-huh. wonder what's you know what's going on out there uh-huh. and this kind of stuff. And you got to protect them. You, know, you got to protect them from birds. You got to pr- protect them from other things that that, mm-hmm. that want to eat that good tasting catfish as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for thank coming you. on. I appreciate it. And make sure you tune in next time to Ag Matters and like and subscribe. Ag Matters is produced and supported by the Mississippi State University Extension Service. Mm-hmm.